The story is told of a grandmother trying to talk to her grandson about going to church. He wasn't interested in it, didn't see any use in it, and so he's given all his reasons, and he says, uh, it just doesn't matter. He said, you go and you sit there, and then you don't remember what's going on. He, he said, tell me what the preacher talked about last Sunday. And the lady thought, and sure enough, she couldn't remember what it was. And so she said, but come over here to the well with me. There was a well right there nearby. And beside the well, on the rope, was an old rusty bucket. I mean, so rusty, it had holes in the bucket. Uh, it was filled with some cobwebs, dirty. She said, dip it down into the well. He said, what for, Grandma? It's, it, it's not going to hold any water. She said, just humor me. Drop it down in there. So he, he did as she asked. He dropped it down in the well, pulled it up, and as it came up, all the water leaked out. He said, see, Grandma, it was useless. She said, do it again. So he obeyed. He did it again. Sure enough, it came up again without any water in it. He said, see, it's just a useless thing to do, just like church is. She said, but look at that bucket. He looked at it closer. She said, it's cleaner, isn't it? That having the water washed through it, washed out the cobwebs, washed off the dirt, washed off some of the rust. And while it didn't contain all the water it held when it was down in there, it was cleaner for the purpose. And her point is well taken that while we may not remember everything we hear or very little of what we hear, the Word of God has that function in our lives. By reading it, by thinking on it, it has a, a power within us to cleanse, to illuminate, to bring to mind. And as we read it, as we are familiar with the Scriptures, while we may not have anything stand out at that moment. Later, when we're in some event, something happening, God will bring a scripture to mind. Maybe we can't say what verse or chapter it is, but we'll remember something that that said that we read. And so there is a power in reading His Word. There is a help, even though we may not remember everything we say. We read. And while it's important for us to get good Bible study, and I mean work study, uh, like happens here on Tuesdays and in Sunday school, and some of you I know individually go to Bible studies, that is very valuable. There is also a value to just reading His Word, letting it wash through your soul, and speaking to you in ways that you're not aware one of my favorite Bible times is each morning I, I do different types of readings, but one of my favorite is to read in the book of Psalms and the book of Proverbs. In the book of Psalms, I'll typically read about 10 chapters. There's 150 chapters, maybe five. If you read five chapters, then that'll take you through the month. And interestingly, in the book of Proverbs, there's 31 chapters. So there's one for every 
week, every day of the longest months. And so just reading those scriptures, I don't remember everything I read, but it does that. It, it energizes me. It helps me. And the Proverbs are powerful. And so many of those are contained within one verse. And so in order to try to keep it fresh, sometimes I'll read the chapter backwards. It can do that. It's not like a chronological story where you need to start at the beginning. You can read them standing on their own. So that's one way to take in the scripture that I use is just take some time to read through about five chapters. It doesn't take as long as you may think. And we can find time to do other things. We can find time to read the Word of God if we want to. And then to read a chapter of Proverbs. And one thing easy about that is you can read Proverbs 1 on January 1. When you get up on January 2nd, what do I need to read? Oh yeah, chapter 2. So it makes it easy on our, on our failing memory. I say all that to say that in our look at Luke chapter 2 today, it's a familiar passage, it's a familiar story, but we're just going to take kind of an easygoing read of it to talk about it and remind us of the miracle that we celebrate that happened some 2,000 years ago of Jesus Christ coming to be born. So we're in Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 1. You can follow along with me. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in strips of cloth and placed him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. I did these scriptures with our ladies at Twin Oaks this week. We talked about them. And as I read, Gracie is sitting next to me. And as I read that strips of cloth, she reminded me of how they had learned it. And you probably learned it. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes, is how the King James says it. She remembered that. And we talked about it. And, and, and in this verse, it does tell us so much of what was going on. The Roman Empire was massive, stretched all around the Mediterranean and towards the east, uh, over towards India, down into North Africa. And Caesar Augustus decided, as leaders are wont to do, how big is my empire? How many people are in my empire? So he insisted on a census. And the way they did that then was they had to go to their hometown, their home where their family came out of. And David was of the tribe of Judah, of the line of David. And so he went to Bethlehem. And he took Mary with him. And notice, it doesn't say they were married. They were pledged to be married. 
That was, that's a word we don't use much today, but it's uh, betrothal. And in the Hebrew culture, that betrothal is as binding as marriage. And that was why she went with them. Even though they weren't married, we could think, she well, she could have stayed home with mom and dad, but it was as if they were married. And just as a side note, in order to get out of a betrothal, in other words, an engagement, a little more serious than our engagement, you had to have papers of divorce in order to break that betrothal. It was that serious. There was one other, uh, one other rite that they went through to finalize the marriage, uh, but for all intents and purposes, when you were betrothed, you were considered married, everything but the consummation. And so Mary went with him, and Mary was heavy with child. And I just think it's important for us to remember what it was like. It was a little over 100 miles. We jump in our car. We can drive to Lexington or Richmond or uh, Indianapolis in a few hours and think nothing of it, but it wasn't like that back then. They typically would have walked. And from Nazareth, where they lived, down to Jerusalem, as the crow flies, it was very mountainous, very hilly. It would have been a hard, hard journey, especially being with child. And it was also dangerous. There were, uh, it was a place where, a lot, where bandits could hide and attack you. So typically what was done was they would go to the east over near the Jordan River, where the land was flatter, where more people traveled, there was safety in numbers, and they would go down to about Jericho, cross, come back up to Jerusalem, then go to Bethlehem. And so that increased the length of the trip even more. And I'm sure because Mary was expecting child, they, they got a donkey for her to ride on. But even so, and, and ladies, you know this much better than we men, if, to think about riding on the back of a donkey for that length of a trip would not have been comfortable, would it? It uh, wouldn't have been good at all. Although it wasn't hot, it was in the cool time of the year. So it was a trial. It was a, a trip for them to get down there. And then they get to Bethlehem. Everybody else is coming into town. And they're looking for a place to stay. And, and there were inns, there were motels, a lot different than when we go to Holiday Inn or somewhere else where we get a room with our private bath. They would have piled people into one big room and they would have shared uh, whatever uh, restroom facilities there were. Again, if you're thinking about being a, a teenage girl, Mary would have been very young. The... the uh, the word used in Isaiah for what for virgin for Mary was a young girl, one who had never known a man. She was probably a teenager. Joseph was older. And to think about being thrown into a room with total strangers, piled elbow to elbow to sleep, would not be anything that would be appropriate for a, a young mother to have to go through. And so while sometimes we can think of the innkeeper as being calloused and insensitive, 
It was actually a kind act that he gave them the stable to be in. Most, some of you are farmers, some of you raise your animals, you even have your dog. And I dare say your pets, your cattle are probably sometimes taken care of better than the people you know. You want to keep fresh hay, you want to keep the stalls cleaned, you want to uh, have them a place to, to rest, you want to take care of them. And so it would have been in those days. So the stable would have been a, a good place, a better place to be than in the inn. And, you know, I, 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 had, uh, I had a friend contact me about this article she read that was talking about some of our songs and how they're inaccurate, and it struck me wrong. There's so much revisionism going on today. I also heard somebody talking about, well, part of it, one of these songs was, we sing about the angels gathered, I mean the animals gathered around baby Jesus. And truly the Bible never says that he was surrounded by animals. However, we use some good sense, we use logic. They were in the animals' stable. And at night they would bring the animals in for warmth, for safety, to sleep. So it makes perfect sense that there were animals there. So I, I really get bent out of shape with these people who want to nitpick on some of those things where if you use a little bit of sense, it made perfect sense that there were angels around. So this is the scene that Mary had baby Jesus. Didn't have crib, didn't have something like that. And so they used a manger, a feed trough. I'm sure it had fresh hay in it. Would have been softer than the ground to lay baby Jesus in. And as he lay there, the Son of God, born in a stable, didn't come as a warrior king, didn't come with a host of angels uh, ready to do battle, came as an innocent, uh, vulnerable baby, came to do what needed to be done. Let's go on. It's not on the screen, but I'm going to continue reading in verse 8 of chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly... A great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger, when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, young mother Mary, treasured these things 
and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Real quickly, some thoughts on this section. You know, when we have a dignitary show up or something happens, there's a whole entourage that comes, and it's a huge event. Uh, and so you would think it would be when a king is born. I'm sure it was. But in this case, God doesn't go to King Herod. We learn later that he didn't even know what had happened until the wise men showed up. He didn't go to the leaders in the temple. He went to shepherds out in the field. He went to common people. And not just common people, but shepherds were not highly regarded. It was a rough life. They didn't have showers. They uh, may have smelled much like their sheep. But that's who God chose to announce the Son of God being born to. And I think that gives us hope, as most of us are common people, regular people, that God is not just for the elite. God is not just for the important people. He is for them. They tend to reject Him in many cases. But He's for you and me. He's for the people across the street, around the corner. He's for no matter what they've been through, no matter what they've done in life, no matter what their regard is by the community, God came for them. And that's a praise and a joy that we can have. That I don't have to be somebody important. I don't have to have a lot of wealth. I don't have to be uh, prominent in my uh, society or my community. I can be the, considered the lowliest of lowliest. But Jesus Christ came so that I might have eternal life. And that's a joy. And so he came to the shepherds. And one other thing in thinking about that, when the shepherds, which obviously would have been terrified, you would too if you were out in the middle of the fields, uh, and uh, all of a sudden this angel shows up, and then a host of angels, you'd be terrified as well. But they believed them. They went to see Mary and Joseph. And it says, as they returned, they told what had been told them about the child. They were some of the first evangelists. They were the first to go to people as they went, telling about this Christ child that was born and how the angels appeared announcing His coming. They could not contain their joy and amazement at what had happened. And that's what our walk with God should be like. It should be so wonderful, so fresh to us that we can't help but talk about it. Whereas too often we have to work at it. We have to make ourselves. We have to bolster our courage. And I'm sure those who heard the shepherds, one, when they saw them coming, they thought, whew, let's, let's move on. 
And then they heard what they said. They thought, what a bunch of crazy loons out there with the sheep. They didn't believe all, all of them didn't believe them. Some of them probably thought they were seeing things, maybe smoking a little too much or whatever they smoked back then. But that didn't stop them. They told what they knew. They told what they had seen. And they told about the Christ child. And so that's a message to us today. We who have so much more than they have, even the poorest among us, to share about what God has done for us and who God is. And so as we're in this Christmas season, hustle and bustle, busy, 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 relieved when tomorrow afternoon is over, (laughs) all the cooking's done, all the dishes are clean, all the presents that we've worked on for months are torn open and forgotten and the paper's taken care of. But we stop and remember the reason for the season. Alexa's wearing a shirt that says that today. He is the reason. And we can get called up and all the fault are all and forget that. One of the things when Sue and I got married that I learned about her family is on Christmas morning, before they were allowed to open gifts, they would read the account in Luke chapter 2 about Jesus Christ. And the value of that, of putting Christ first before we indulge in our fun and pleasure was powerful. And we did that with our children while they were at home. And so it's just some ideas for you as you go on to remember the simple things. Life is a challenge. You'll be back to work, many of you, on Tuesday There's lots, there's problems. We all have problems. We all have things we're dealing with. But we can pause tonight, tomorrow, and remember that a little over 2,000 years ago, God came, decided to come as a form of a baby. But in that, He grew up and went through the things we've gone through. He knew temptation. He knew work. He knew trials. He probably knew being hungry, all those things. He knew rejection. He knew abandonment. He knew betrayal. He knew good friends. So he knows our life. And then after teaching us for just a short time, he laid down that life so that you could have eternal life, so that you could have the best gift of all. And it behooves us to just take time to remember that. Join me in prayer. Our most precious Heavenly Father, we've just glazed the surface of the story of your birth, of your Son coming. Lord, it's uh, such a rich, wonderful story that you prophesied through your prophets hundreds of years before that you let us know Christ was coming Many looked for a warrior king. You came as an innocent child. Lord, we remember your other teachings that there is that day coming when you will come with the host of heaven and you will bind all evil and sin 
and you will establish your kingdom on earth. Lord, at this holiday season, as we remember Jesus Christ, let us search inside, let us hear your voice, and let us take stock of our relationship with you. Do we know you at all? If not, then open yourselves up to us, yourself, and let us know so that we might receive you as Savior and Lord. Father, if there's someone around us at the table tomorrow that we're pretty sure doesn't know you as Savior and Lord, give us a word to say, not heavy-handed, not beating them up, but talking about the Christ child and what Christmas means. And Father, for those of us who have walked with you for many, many years, thank you for those years. Lord, give us a fresh vision, a fresh insight. Let us remember our first love, Jesus Christ, and let us purpose to live for you evermore. Thank you, God. Thank you for Jesus Christ. We're gathered here in his name and pray. Amen.